coming to you from beautiful Santa Barbara, California. Promoting peace, healthy living, and happiness. It's the Peace Podcast with host Barbara Gon Mueller. And I want to welcome all of you to our wonderful afternoon working on an issue that is facing our world, threatening us, um, holding negative peace. If my weapons are bigger than yours, then maybe you won't shoot me first, etc. As you know, well, I'm Barbara Gon Mueller, the United Nations Association, Santa Barbara and Tri-Counties. We have the privilege of having 200 more of us out there. In the United States, we're probably up to about 250 when you count the college chapters, and we are working to support the United Nations. That's why I wanted to invite Joanne, because the United Nations has treaties. Do we really pay attention to the treaties that the United Nations has? I hope so, because they work hard to make sure that we are safe and that the world is well-fed, etc. But I'm going to just introduce Joanne because I want to get right into today's program. And Joanne is started volunteering at the United Nations. I've known her for many years. She taught courses in the college and the, and the high school on Nobel laureates, teaching younger, young people how they too could become Nobel laureates. She volunteered at the United Nations Office of the Unitarian Universal Association. She was introduced to a range of disarmament experts as she created a blog on disarming our planet. She was drawn to that topic, having been engaged, engaged in their annual conference on disarmament that year and the international campaign to abolish nuclear weapons, which has been my dream since I was a little girl. The session will focus on history making stories that the treaty had created and the entry into force and current implementation. She and James on our call today are, are teaching a course and she'll talk about that toward the end and it starts in May and I'm hoping that you'll be able to join us. Joanne, I wanna welcome you. Um, I had the privilege of interviewing you on Peace Podcast and I learned so much. And so I thought, well, why not have the United Nations Association also hear what you have to say? Joanne will have a slideshow, then we'll have questions and answers, and then I'll tell you more about the programs we're going to be offering. All right, Joanne, without further ado, this is Joanne DeFore, and she's from the Washington area, the state of, and I'm welcoming you. Thank you for joining us. Well, thank you, Barbara. It is always an honor to take part in anything that you produce. So this is a very special opportunity for me. Thank and you. it's nice to have uh, Jim Minista join me and, and you'll get a chance to meet him a little bit later as we talk about our course. Um, I wanted to say that when the release went out about this program, hardly anybody knows about the treaty for the prohibition of nuclear weapons. And accidentally, this, this program got promoted as the START Treaty. Well, the START Treaty is alive and well. And uh, matter of fact, one of my blogs was actually on the START Treaty. And, and as, as we were talking about how significant treaties are in the UN system, and so by chance I happened to write one. But I don't wanna talk a lot about the START Treaty because this is a, an important topic, but it's only a treaty between Russia and the United States, as you know. I wanted to say and remind us that as uh, that it almost expired, it was the third version that was up for renewal under Trump's administration, and it almost expired, but the second day that President Biden 
was in office. Um, he actually signed on to the, he and Mr. Putin signed on to the, uh, the treaty. It's going to be a treaty that talks about the reduction of nuclear weapons on each side. And the beauty of the treaty is the verification process that they went through, because each side was allowed 18 inspections over a period of time from 210, and by 2018, they each had reduced their supplies by 1,500 weapons. Now, we're hopeful with this new treaty that the same thing will happen. But let's, let's get to the other piece. Um, by the way, um, this, is, this is what my love is right now, just because this is such an exciting story to tell. And Barbara had indicated how I got to know this, and, and it was just by chance that I, I was working on the uh, program for the Unitarians when they, in 2017, when um, ICANN got the Nobel Prize, as you probably recall. But, and they are very much responsible for how it came to be. But let's go back and do just a bit of review because I'm not sure that we all remember the important pieces. Back in 1945, on August 6th, when the detonation of Hiroshima occurred, within a half a mile of the, of the ground zero area, absolutely everything was destroyed. Uh, there were no, I mean, people literally uh, were exterminated. They're, the only thing that was left of individuals were their shadows. Now, why do we mention this? Because in today's world, the bombs that we have are 250 times the intensity of this treaty. When you go as far away as eight point, no, as eight miles uh, from ground zero, you might run into corpses like this. Now by eight miles, there were individuals that were no longer ashes. They were, there. some of their remains were still noticeable. You can barely see the smile, and I'm not gonna call it a smile on the face, but the lips of the face of the person that was, that was destroyed here. Notice that all his skin had melted off, his eyeballs had melted, and that's exactly what happens within a half mile radius. Now with the detonation of these larger bombs, obviously the radiation effects and the destruction of the, and the burning of the individuals is gonna be far more intense and far broader. And that's why we wanted to show some of these grisly pieces. When you got to 13 miles from Hiroshima, from ground zero, you started to have individuals that were suffering the effects of radiation. And those effects of radiation would be obviously far wider should we ever consider a nuclear detonation in today's world. And they are horrific. Now, one of the interesting pieces though, I showed the current president of the International Committee of the Red Cross. His name is Peter Moore and we'll reference him a little bit more later. But I show him right now because his predecessor in 1945, within two weeks after Hiroshima, he went over and actually looked at what the damage was within two weeks. I can imagine that it was you know, still filled with radiation and intense uh, burning that was going on. But he came back and reported to the International Committee that there is no way that this weapon should ever, ever be used again. And from that initial time, and a, and a piece that he wrote on August 29th, 1945, the International Committee of the Red Cross had been strong, strong critics of any use of nuclear weapons. And that took place 
even in, 19, in 2017 over the process of how this treaty came to be. One of the reasons that the Red Cross is so against it is you, you probably are familiar with the fact that Red Cross developed the Geneva Conventions. And the Geneva Conventions have been adopted by every country in the world. We call them the law of armed conflict. But one of the most important reasons they had essentially outlawed or said, implied that nuclear weapons can never be used. They don't say that specifically that we say they are illegal, but the fundamental principles of international humanitarian law, which is a 1970 broader version of the Geneva Conventions, designates that differentiation between the civilian populations and combatants must be a part of every single military effort that is made. You must distinguish and combatants are, are the targets and the civilians must never ever be targeted. Well, obviously you can't distinguish in a nuclear, in a, in a nuclear exchange to separate out the combatants from the civilians. This was very, very obvious uh, when we were conducting, we became a trust territory. We meaning the United States became a trust territory for the Marshall Islands. And that was back when the war was still going on. But once the war was over and had finished and we had exploded the nuclear weapons, we still were very much interested in seeing what else we could do. We, in the detonation of the nuclear weapons in first Hiroshima, which was a uranium bomb, and then in Nagasaki, which was a plutonium bomb, we were all already interested in what other forms of, of um, elements could we use in, in nuclear weapons. They tested 67 times on the Marshall Islands. I don't think any of us recognize, we know about what we did in Hiroshima and, and Nagasaki, but I think very, very few people, with the exception of the Marshallese community, know about the, the results of the horrifying explosions. We tested the largest weapon ever, which was called Castle Bravo. And that was in March of 1954. That was 1,000 times the potency of the Hiroshima bomb. And these kinds of weapons are still out there, not quite this intensity, but they certainly are close to this intensity. And the Mar Marshallese are an amazing group who have done an amazing piece of speaking on behalf of the, the, what had happened to them and how they didn't want it to happen to anyone else. One of the important pieces in the disarmament for nuclear weapons happened when in July 68, the Non-Proliferation Treaty, better known as the NPT, was opened for signature. And that was a very successful treaty. It's called the cornerstone of our, of our attitudes towards the use of nuclear weapons. But there is an Article 6 in there. And the Article 6 is something that the disarmament people have always, always tried to hold up to those countries that have nuclear weapons. Because the nuclear weapon states make a legal undertaking in Article 6 to disarm. But they are allowed to have their weapons with the goal that was stated in 1968 that you will be disarming. Well, none of the nine states that have nuclear weapons have gone down the road of disarming. On the contrary, and especially in today's world, it is just the reverse. And that's the reason that we're so 
first of all, excited about the treaty that, is, that has developed, but also upset about the fact that we are in a new arms race and we are in a new Cold War. Now, it was the, the International Court of Justice is in The Hague, and it was the Marshallese who actually took their case in 1996 to the court to ask them, would you please designate that nuclear weapons are illegal? Well, the court didn't exactly state that, but they came close by saying states must never make civilians the object of attack. Again, this distinction about civilians and protecting civilians that comes out of the Geneva Convention. So that's exactly what they repeated. And they must consequently never use weapons that are cap incapable of distinguishing between civilian and military targets. The implication of the use of nuclear weapons in that statement is perfectly obvious because a nuclear weapon does not, cannot distinguish. Then when we got to the point of having an international criminal court also located in The Hague, but this one cites um, the provision that individuals can be brought for either a, a war crime or crime against humanity or commission of genocide. So what does it actually, how does it explain a war crime? Well, it's employing weapons, projectiles, and materials and methods of warfare where, which are or of a nature to cause superfluous injury and are inherently indiscriminate. Well, again, they are saying that you cannot, you cannot target your, in your methods of warfare, you have to make sure that you are not targeting individuals. Okay, so what happened at the UN? It was 2010 and the NPT was going to have their meetings, which they have every five years to assess what's going on with nuclear weapons. And every five years they would get together and explore who's doing what. Well, in 2010, there was a group of countries that started to raise objection. They, they were a group that did not have weapons. And they said, you know, you, you folks, you have your weapons and you play your games back and forth and you are, you no longer test your weapons, but you're certainly developing and you're storing them and they, they, it's easy to have accidents. And if anything goes off, you know what? We're going to be destroyed. We're going to be destroyed by what you're doing and we have no say in the process. And ICANN, the, the International Campaign to Abolish Nuclear Weapons, was a group that was formed three years before. It's a group of doctors that formed that. And at that time, they heard these, these states complaining about nuclear weapons. And they said, you know, I don't think it's going to stop at 44 states. So they, they called meetings in 20. 11, 2012, 2013, and they were nurturing and, and inviting to these meetings people to come and talk about the power of nuclear weapons. And it's to the states that didn't have them. One of the most powerful speakers was Peter Moore, the one that I spoke to before, because he would talk about the role of the Red Cross. And he says, we have no plan for what would happen in a nuclear, in a nuclear explosion. We know from Hiroshima that 80% of the doctors and the nurses around Hiroshima were totally totally eliminated. They were they were they were uh, what do I want to say? They were turned into ashes. And this was true of it would be certainly true of any similar event that goes on. And the awareness of thinking about what the humanitarian impulse is is what is what was beginning to help countries. And the ambassadors who were listening to these speakers changed their mind. 
Pope Francis was absolutely eloquent and brought a moral message. When the time came for the treaty to be signed, the Vatican was one of the first, not only signatories, but, uh, but uh, the, they ratified the treaty right then and there. The, the uh, Secretary General Guterres on the right has been a strong supporter of the treaty ever since, ever since those meetings were held. And he's the one who is, was constantly reminding us that there was a new arms race going on and a new Cold War. But the person that we really want to credit is Beatrice Finn. You might have heard of her. She is the executive director of this international campaign. By 2017, their work of holding continuous meetings over time, the meetings where, where because remember, behind the scenes, the NGOs are doing that. And it was the work of the IC, uh, of ICANN that was, that was organizing these meetings. By the time they actually finished organizing the meetings in 2015, there were 122 states that were interested in actually uh, formulating a treaty. That treaty got written in 2017, and it was the ambassador from Costa Rica, whose name is um, Elaine White. I think that's her name. Um, yeah, Elaine, Elaine White Gomez is her name. And she was there, uh, and in a matter of record time, she had utilized the, the treaty that was created to outlaw chemical weapons. And she read that very, very carefully because that treaty was so successful that 90% of the countries in the world had eliminated their chemical weapons because of the implementation of the treaty. And most of all, the verification that it was part of the treaty. Now this treaty does not yet have a sentence that talks about verification, but when they, when they will be, they do have the option to include amendments. And as soon as they have a nuclear weapon state that ratifies the treaty, that there will be an amendment for the re for the verification process. But the signing for the treaty began on September 20th, 2017. And the designation was that I'm sure you know the difference between the signing of a treaty and the ratification. But just let me clarify for people who might not know that. The first step is to sign a treaty, which means that the ambassador who hears about the treaty says, well, this is interesting. You know, I think we want to pursue this more. It sounds like this is something that we might, we might want to sign on to. In other words, we're showing interest in the wording of this treaty and its possible enforcement. But that ambassador has to go back to his or her country and to talk with the, the national government, which then goes through the process of ratifying it. That's a whole separate step. When they designed the treaty, they would say that 50 countries had to ratify it. And after the ratification of the 50th country, that, the, um, that it would come into force, that would enter into force. Well, that actually happened. And the beautiful part is that it happened on October 24th of last year, the 75th anniversary of the United Nations. And it was the country of Honduras that celebrated that anniversary. And it was a beautiful anniversary. Now, 90 days from that was the coming into force. In other words, it became absolutely official on January 22nd. And that happened to have been the date that Biden signed the START Treaty. But in the meantime, the rest of us celebrated with bells around the world 
where, wherever we could get bells to ring, we were celebrating the fact that the TPNW was now illegal. In other words, the, well, was now legal and it made nuclear weapons illegal. But let's look at what the provisions of the TPMW actually say. And it's important to recognize that the TPNW recognizes the illegality because of the Geneva Conventions, all right, that they are already illegal. So they don't say actually that they are illegal. Instead, what they are saying, borrowing a lot of the words from this treaty against chemical weapons, never under any circumstances must the ratified country develop, test, produce, manufacture, otherwise acquire, possess, transfer, deploy, use, threat to use, stockpile nuclear weapons or other nuclear explosive devices. Well, that's a lot to ask, but we're not ready yet. Nor are the parties to the treaty allowed to assist, finance, encourage, induce others to carry out any of these prohibited acts. So now what does this actually mean? Right now we have 54 countries that have ratified the treaty. We have 86 countries that have signed the treaty are interested. They have a team of super international lawyers strategizing like crazy at, in Geneva where they have the offices of ICANN to see how can that come about and we can have two thirds of the world if, we, if all those 86 countries decide to. And of course, none of those countries are any of the nine countries with those weapons. And that's important to recognize. They have boycotted the treaty. They, when the treaty was, they said it is totally ir irrelevant to our, our strong belief in deterrence. Well, of course, because then these countries don't want to just deter. They want to reduce and eliminate the weapons. So they're going to be having a meeting on the anniversary of January 22nd in this coming year when all the countries that have ratified the treaties will have the meeting. In the meantime, ICANN and the members of the United Nations, especially their disarmament team, are working with each country that has ratified the treaty to see which of these nouns are, are going on in your country. Are you, are, you, uh, uh, are you assisting in any way? Do you manufacture in any way? Are you transporting in any way? All of, and that's the beauty of this. So even if, for example, if you are buying orange juice from a country, from a company, and the company also happens to make widgets for some part of the nuclear weaponry, you as a country will refuse to have any business with that company. Sorry, no more orange juice, go sell it somebody else. We're not, going to, we're not going to buy anything from you. Now, those kinds of specific actions are really extremely powerful because parties now are obligated to completely eliminate nuclear weapons, and that's what providing the framework to achieve that means. Now, let's go on and look a little bit more carefully. We're talking about how much these weapons cost. And this is something that all of us who have been working on disarmament for years and years, this has always been, you know, it's guns or butter, right? When we learned it. But this was an ICANN uh, posting that was for 2019. If they were to listed and they have not updated this for 2020 spending, um, 
these will all be higher because there has been an increase in every single one of the countries that has nuclear weapons. When you add all this up, now this is just the expenditures on nuclear weapons. Oops, wait, let me go back. Well, I don't know how to go back. But anyway, the, you remember from the bar um, that the US, the total US expenditure, if you add up the expenditures from all the countries on nuclear weapons, they are almost, I think they're a little bit higher by a few billion dollars, just one or two billion dollars than the United States budget. That is how immense our budget is. At this time, we have a proposal from Mr. Biden. The last proposal increased our budget to the Pentagon by $11 billion. And I just finished watching a marvelous um, Zoom program where they are talking about the, the comparison of the budget to the Pentagon to our other parts of government and operations that the government finances. Um, the total is $753 billion in Biden's budget for next year. Billion dollars. Okay, let's get back to the good news, okay? The good news is the fact that these are the 54 countries so far that have ratified it. And we also already expressed the 86 countries that are in the process of ratifying it. Now, most of these are gonna be countries that are in the South because most of the nuclear weapons are in the Northern Hemisphere, the nuclear weapons country. So it's the nuclear, it's the countries of the South that would get demolished because just the detonation of two nuclear weapons on our tridents would destroy the whole planet. Nuclear winter would take over and, and it would be destruction for all of us. So uh, we have some countries in here that used to have nuclear weapons like South Africa and Brazil and gave up their program. We have other countries like uh, Kazakhstan and uh, that has used to have the nuclear weapons of, of um, of Russia that, and now is one of the strong supporters of the treaty. Now, let's see what ICANN is talking about, trying to encourage the progress of countries, more countries ratifying this treaty. And remember, ratification means enforcement. When you sign on, you're not enforcing the treaty yet. So you're not holding any companies responsible. When you ratify it, that means you have taken the terms of the treaty, you have looked very carefully at your own financial situation, economic situation, and you look to see which categories fit your, fit your uh, own individual conditions in your country. Now, how can we move this along? Well, there's been a promotion based on, of course, South Africa and, and apartheid and the whole movement of how, how divestment can be a successful technique. So they promote divestment. Now, the beautiful part of ICANN is that in its, with its teams of the international lawyers, they have come up with and partnered with two of the uh, organizations that very, very carefully help us with divestment. One is called Code Pink, and one is called Don't Bank on the Bomb. Now, both of them help you as an individual to divest. Well, how do they do that? Well, they will designate, if you go to the, if you go to ICANN and their website and you type on divestment, you will find that they have, they have clarified 
uh, a whole range of things. First of all, they have a hall of shame and a hall of fame. The hall of shame lists those entities that work on developing nuclear weapons, okay? So those mean not only the companies that do it, but also the banks that invest in those companies. Also, the universities that do the research, because all of those entities are carrying on illegal activities under the treaty. And so they're hoping to reach by more of us going to our banks and asking your financial advisors. I did that with both of my financial advisors. I have two of them. And I asked them, I don't want to divest in nuclear weapons. All right, but wait a second, you know, uh, we don't care. Uh, we're still going to, but if we get enough people that do care and talk to their institutions or sit in on the, you know, if you should own, own stock, you're sitting in on the companies that, that, do, that do the stocks. Um, the other campaign is called the City Initiatives Campaign, and I'll just go along here. These are cities that, that have taken a stand because if the cities take a stand on nuclear weapons, they can affect their national government. And they're trying to reach the, leg the legislature, legislatures that are closer to the individuals, like your city representatives or your town representatives. Now look at what the, the this is just a portion of the, of the countries that have signed. And some of them that have not signed because they are, you know, like India, like France, like the UK, but what you see from here is that is a growing popular um, resentment. For those countries that store US weapons like Belgium, there is 80% of the population does not want it. They voted in a new government that now is in favor of the treaty. So we're just questioning it's a matter of time before those US weapons will become, they, they store NATO weapons for the US. It, that's just a question of time before that doesn't happen. Norway, 46, 46 cities have supported the treaty. So you're gonna, Italy, 37 provinces, they have opposed the hosting of 40 US nuclear weapons. So if the United States hasn't taken a uh, stand yet, the countries we, where we have stored them, the population in those countries is taking a stand. So I, okay, now the other, the other thing that they have, have encouraged, and it was the third condition, was taking a pledge. And a pledge is essentially a piece that runs about um, 100 words, and it's, and it's in essence saying that I support the treaty and I support the, uh, the operation of the treaty in my country, and I would like to stand up for that treaty. So now, I just I, I update these things all the time. And uh, when I updated it in uh, February for the class, it was only 1,400 parliamentarians. It is now 1,600 parliamentarians. Um, legislators around the world, we even have 10, the uh, nuclear ban chapter here in the United States has 10 of our Congress people that have signed on to the treaty. We would love you to, to talk with your Congress your senators and your representatives and get them to sign the pledge because that is the slow way of really changing minds in these legislatures. Um, I have to tell you that when I did the, the city breakdown for our first class in February 2020, there were 295 cities around the world at that time. We're holding our seventh class. We now have 518 cities. 
So something is really, really happening. It's just not happening in our media. It's not happening on our TV stations. It's not happening among our legislators and we gotta make it happen. So I'll open for questions at this point and I can share um, more about our class. Um, and I wonder, Jim, if you might be willing to tell a little bit about our class. He, he does a beautiful job Why opening up. Why don't we um, stop sharing and then we can see Jim. You can stop sharing. You just push the green button down below. There you go. Okay, Jim, we'd love to hear about the class. Joanne, I just have to tell you, what a presentation. Holy Kalala. Thank you, thank you. Okay, Jim, we're on to listen about your course. Well, four people, myself and Joanne and two others, uh, looked at the current situation of a reignited arms race and uh, uh, thought we should bring to the public something that has been lingering in the back of their minds uh, since the demise of the Soviet Union, uh, that nuclear annihilation is still possible. Um, the weapons are real, they're hugely destructive, but like anything else that we made, we can take them apart and defuse this situation. It, it turns out that we're looking at uh, quite possibly a special moment in history when we realize that the earth is small, that we have the power to overuse it, and we have the power to completely destroy it. Um, we, we've got to adjust things like war, things like competition, and uh, our class delves into that. Well, in the class begins when, James? Uh, it'll begin on Saturday, May. Saturday, yeah. Let, let's show you here, we've got a, uh, And this is also on, what website would we go to to get this, Joanne? Uh, you can just call me here. Uh, you can contact me at, if, if you can want to write down my phone number. at gmail.com. That would be great. I'm planning on taking the course, although I feel like I just had the rapid fire course just now from you. I did not no. realize. No, the course, the course goes to much, I don't know how to back, go to back. Just go um, hit stop share. Just hit share. Stop. Yeah, there you go. We do we do a, a great deal of history. We do a great deal of peace movements. Uh, we have one veteran who is speaking to to all the changes that have gone on in the development of different weaponry. We. Um, yeah, we have a, we do a lot of, of um, information about the the testing that has gone on and the implications of the testing. Now, we did want to say I, I, one thing I didn't mention, and I know that someone had referenced this: the NPT. When you look at the NPT, Article Three very definitely states that's the Non-Proliferation Treaty, the one from 1968. The NPT very definitely states that a nuclear weapon for peaceful uses is is definitely allowed what they are not what they are saying is that the construction of weapons uh, of nuclear weapons are the things that the NPT has tried to control of course it's, it's only 
you know, the, the controllers are the people that actually have the weapons, right? And they have not disarmed as they were supposed to do. So that was, that's the, the uh, resentment of the countries that, that are signing on to this treaty. Um, but, the, but some people have said that the new treaty destroys the NPT, and that's not true at all. It enhances the NPT. It just does more now because they're getting so specific about what countries must do once they sign on to the treaty. Thank you, Joanne.